What have you and I, what have we ever been called to sacrifice for Jesus? 11 Christians a day, acts of violence. Do you, do you have the next slide with the prices? About almost 5,000 acts of violence have been recorded this year. Rape, abduction, kidnapped. Um, in Nigeria, they have slave markets. The most expensive slave to buy is a little girl. You can get one. From one to nine years old, only $172. You can go online and, and find that this is actually going on. 10-year-old to a 20-year-old, a little less, $130, and it goes on from there. You can buy men, too, but basically the, the main slave market is for young girls, young women. It's, uh, and he's a very good author and speaker if you go online, Johnny Moore. Uh, the statistics from last year, is that another slide after this? What do we have after this slide? The 1040 window again. This shows a little more clearly maybe that, that window. It does extend a little bit over uh, South America and the t bottom of North America. But that window of persecution that's out there, about 10 latitudes south to 40 latitude north. And the persecution percentage, I think that's the next slide, just in one year, the number of Christians living in persecution is expanding. In one year, from 215 to 245 million. It's gone up about 14%, according to um, estimates from groups that do this. Again, China has jumped into uh, 16 spots from 43 to 27. India, for the first time ever, I believe the second largest country in the world population-wise, has entered the top 10 countries in persecution. And the list goes on. Did you ever think about this? I didn't until not that long ago. The New Testament is written by people who are persecuted to people who are persecuted. Uh, almost every book in the New Testament talks about this except for you know, a couple of books like Philemon and Jude. Uh, there's a few, but almost every book talks about persecution. Jesus talked a lot about it. In John 16, Jesus said, he warned the apostles, he warns us, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. ISIS, these other groups, let's be head Christians in honor of Allah. Really. Jesus warned us these things would happen. Um, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus warned about this also. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And Jesus specifically mentioned that there would be great, great persecution in the last days. 
In Matthew 24, where Jesus talks about the last days, he said, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Jesus warned us that there would be great persecution. Okay, and we could, we could go on this whole session, but the, the question comes to mind then, okay, great, Pastor Goodell, but what can we do about it? Can we do anything about it? There's three interesting questions I think we should consider. Number one, is suffering evil, especially if we can do something to stop it and don't? If something evil is going on and we have the ability to, to maybe stop it, and someone doesn't stop it if they can, is that evil? I, I think we would say yes. If one part of the body of Christ is suffering, do we suffer with it? As Paul writes about the body of Christ. Any of you ever break a toe? Oh, I think, okay, I'm not the only one. Great. Uh, a few years ago, we had a big boxer, and uh, he, was, he, he loved to play, and I was chasing him around the house one day. I think he had his ball in his mouth or whatever. I was running around. I was, he was... We're just running around, and I happened to stump my toe on the couch. I was like, oh, my gosh. And I, that thing hurt. Well, what are you going to do? You don't go to the hospital and have your toe x-rayed. Um, the next day, woke up, stepped out of bed, fell flat on my face. And I looked down on my foot. My, it was the second little toe. It was as big as my big toe, and it was purple. And I could... Barely, like, talking about OMG, like, I could barely walk on that thing. If one part of the body of Christ is suffering, do we really suffer about it? Do we just like, oh, well, that's bad. Do we suffer with them? As Paul says, as Jesus said. And finally, do we as Christians show our love for Christ by our actions? I think we would say yes to all three of these questions. In a moment... I'm going to share with you what we can do, etc. But first, Justin, uh, he's the director and founder of an organization called Punk Caridian. There's some materials at the back there also that you should take before you leave. But uh, he wanted to share a little bit as well. Wanted to. I was asked to. Um, and if you've been noticing, like, we have like, all these crazy things going wrong today. There's a little thing that's been jumping up. There's microphones. Our audio went out. And if that's the worst that goes on today, that's pretty good compared to the situation he's been describing with others around the world. Again, what is that, first world problems? Is that still a thing? Anyways, yeah, two months ago, uh, over coffee, I was asked to come and help with the presentation. And what I do has nothing to do with the persecuted church. I've been working for the past four years uh, on a project for focused outreach to the de-churched. That would be people that were once part of the church have left. A couple different reasons why, but for whatever reason, they're no longer part of the church. Um, what does that have to do with, you know, the persecuted church? And I, at first I was hesitant. I thought I probably wouldn't be joining Pastor Goodell. Um, but I started thinking about what I've learned over the past few years. I spent a lot of my time buying coffee or lunch or beers for people to sit down with conversations. A lot of it's for qualitative analysis and interviews. Some of it is uh, as experimentation and uh, so that I can answer their questions. I tag a lot of this into behavioral science because I don't think anybody is doing behavioral science with evangelism, such as for this particular thought. Um, 
humans are all risk averse. That means if I was to give someone $20, if I gave you $20, you'd feel pretty good, right? But if I, if I uh, held you up and said you have to give me $20, science has been able to prove through a lot of different behavioral sciences that it hurts about twice as much to lose something as it is to gain something. You couple that with the sunken, sunken cost fallacy where you put too much emphasis on the things that you've purchased or you put a, a lot of attention into, and it feels like a loss, suddenly when you're talking to somebody who walked away from the faith, has an entirely new belief system, what do you do when they feel as though by changing their current belief system, it's a loss, and that loss is gonna hurt twice as much? Ooh, if you wanna talk more about the behavioral science of evangelism, talk to me later, or just sign up for like a newsletter or something if we have anything back there. If not, find us on social media. But as I was thinking about these things that I've been learning, I was reflecting on our big project for 2020. Uh, I've been working with another, uh, we'll call him an apologist, uh, Josh Pagan. He's a uh, multiple doctorate. He's in Fort Wayne. He works at the SEM there. Uh, he's a pastor nearby there as well. And uh, we've been working on an idea like that encapsulates what, what does somebody need to be a confident person when it comes to sharing their faith in this world. And my, my premise is this. One is that you're reasonable. You have enough information that you come across as not crazy. It's a very low bar in our world today. The very lowest bar. As long as you come across as not like believing in unicorns, you're pretty safe, especially when you know you don't actually have to prove something's true. Most people don't even realize it, but they're just assuming facts. If I was to ask everybody in this room to prove that the earth is round, very few of you could prove it, but you know it's true. Why? Because we've been taught it. But can you prove it? What can you verify? Our whole epistemology, how we come to knowledge, has been skewed and we don't even realize it. So number one is just come across reasonable. But number two, and this is what I want to talk about briefly today, the thing that I realized um, I could actually add to this message, and that is, as a Christian, we have the better story. So as long as we're not seen as crazy, and then we're seen as having this rich story, this meaning, this purpose, the person sitting across the table from you suddenly might want that to be true. And that's important because science is now again proven, behavioral science, that you're more likely to believe something if you want it to be true. How does that affect our message? So how is this a better story, Christianity? Well, one, these are easy ones. Um, unlike the world we live in, um, value doesn't come from what I accomplish or do. I don't have to make a million dollars to be successful. I don't have to have the right car. I don't have to be on the right sports team. I don't have to wear the right clothes to, be, to know that I have value. Value comes from the God who created us, the God who sent his son to die for us. Yes, we can see we have a better story because God loves us, God created us, Jesus loves us. These are like phrases that everybody hears, but to really understand that your value is more than just the thing society tells us, that's a great start. But even beyond that, uh, your identity doesn't come, um, or your identity comes from God, not from the things that we often think it comes from in society, such as the way we look, or what's on our social media, or the people we know. There's all these things that we get mixed up in and we care about, but really, when you're free to not care about them, that's a better story. I have a long list of these things, but the last one I'm gonna share is, um, we have a better story because while the world wants us to know or think or feel that we're free to do whatever we want, be whoever we, are, whoever we want, all those things, God 
already gave us a different type of freedom. Um, by giving us a purpose, he gave us a freedom to be part of his grand story. In the garden, uh, God makes Adam and Eve, and he basically says, be fruitful and multiply. It's the first commandment God gives anybody in the Bible. That commandment is not just go and make babies. I think that's how we've read it far too long in the English. But it's literally, you're part of creation. This creation needs to extend and be in order and be loved and be cared for. You're part of this mission to be a gardener. And right now, he's going to give you some sort of call to action. And be it prayer or getting on a plane and going over there and kicking butt. Um, the point is, each and every day, if you're living a better story life, and you believe in God and Jesus and his love, each and every day, we can be part of that story by being a gardener, looking for the ways that we can continue um, putting order and love and peace literally in the, the world around you right here, the friends around you, but also for the people overseas, the people that he's talking about, the Christians that are being persecuted. Um, it's in a different perspective, but it's one that grows with you. And so as you leave today, realize that you're part of a story that started way back in the garden, and it's one that's continuing on and that it's not over, not even close. Thank you. We are part of that better story. And that ties in so, so well with the persecuted church and all that's going on there. I don't know if anyone would ask you, why are you a Christian? How do you know Christianity is true? Well, we can look at fulfilled prophecies, the evidences for the resurrection, a whole host of things. But we have a better story. A God that loves us, as, as was just shared. And because of that story, these people, are, our brothers and sisters around the world, are being persecuted unlike any other time since the first century. So the question comes up, well, that's awesome. I'm not awesome. That's awful. That's terrible. I feel so bad. I'm, I'm not happy I came here. Well, I hope you don't feel that way. But is there anything we can do? The answer is, yeah, there is. We weren't there during the Holocaust when six million Jews and, and numerous millions of others died, there's nothing we can do about that. But there is another genocide going on right now. A genocide, again, the media is not talking about. The world is silent about it. The Christians in that 1040 window feel so abandoned, so alone, and basically they are. Pretty much helpless. Because that's where they were born. Our mission, hopefully is to do whatever we can to help them. There are things we can do. We can, first of all, awaken the church to what's happening. I'm guessing most of you, maybe some of you had an idea. Yeah, I heard something about But most of the church does not know the extent of what's going on around the world. We can awaken the church to the reality of the persecution, that it's real. It's not just a little bit. It's a genocide. We can call our church to prayer. And we can see what God does with us after that. Are there things that you and I can actually do? I believe so. Otherwise, I wouldn't have come here and spent this time and, and all of that. We can't go to those countries and overthrow them. And we can't send arms over there to protect them. We can't raise up a physical army. But there are things we can do. We can pray. We can pray like we've never prayed before. Pray as if these people were our family members, 
If your mom or dad was at Asiya Bibi in prison, or your sister or daughter was at Leah, kidnapped, would you be praying for them a little bit? I think so. Would you be praying for them every day? Would you be telling your church prayer chain prayer thing or people you know to pray for them? I think so. We can pray. We can pray like we've never prayed before. We can fight on our knees. We can't go over there and fight them physically, but we can fight for them on our knees. We can raise up an army of prayer warriors across the country. Perhaps that's why you're here today. Perhaps God is calling you to be one of those prayer warriors. We can fight on our knees, and it can begin right here, right now, right now at this National Youth Gathering. And my hope is that when you take some of these materials, when you leave here, you tell everyone you know to come tomorrow. But besides that, um, or the next day, I'm doing it the next two days, you take this message back home. There's a card that you'll get. If you get anything, there's a card uh, you can sign. Give it to your pastor. Ask your pastor if you can begin praying for the persecuted church every Sunday. Why not? How many of us believe that God answers prayer? What if, and next week, our synod has a convention where this is a resolution that we started in Fort Wayne to ask our synod to stand up and let's see what we can do. We're a synod of about 2 million people. What if we got every church in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, every single Sunday to pray for the persecuted Christians around the world as we're commanded to do this? We'll see in the verses coming up. Every Sunday. Do, do we really believe that God would honor prayers like that? I think so. Wouldn't cost our pastors a penny, though, like that. Wouldn't cost us anything. But to mobilize a, a prayer army, uh, an army of prayer warriors, we can do that. Uh, I believe in prayer. You believe in prayer. Would God honor those prayers? Yeah. And let's begin here. Again, not an accent that all of us from all over the country have been brought here to this gathering, but also to this session. We can raise up an army of prayer warriors. We can begin right here in Minneapolis. Why not? It has to start somewhere. Can you, can we be part of praying for the persecuted church? I, I hope so. And actually, Scripture tells us, and there's more verses, Scripture commands us, tells us to pray for the persecuted church. I don't know if you knew that. In Hebrews 13.3, the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews tells us, continue to remember those in prison as if you were in prison with them. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Remember those in prison as if we were there with them. And Paul who died as a martyr, all of the apostles except, all right, New Testament question, which apostle did not die as a martyr? Not Judas, he killed himself, but which one? John. But the others all died as martyrs. That's part of our history. Paul, in his uh, letter to the Colossians, he was in prison awaiting his death. The very, very last verse of the letter to the Colossians, Paul writes this, such a melancholy ending. He ends this letter to the churches in Colossae by saying, Remember my chains, please. If there's anything that I can ask of you, just one thing, please remember my chains. In other words, please pray for me. And when the persecuted Christians find out that we're praying for them, that just encourages them in ways we can't imagine. I love Deuteronomy 31. It's paraphrased in Hebrews. 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. In Hebrews 13.5, we find that verse also. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Is there a more incredible promise, besides the fact that God has saved us, is there a more incredible promise than that? He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Is that a promise that those people in prison, do not fear for I am with you, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Great promises. And then Jesus' very last words in the gospel according to St. Matthew, the Great Commission, Jesus said what? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When we go through troubles, that's great for us to know. Are those great verses we can send to these brothers, our brothers and sisters who are in prison? To know that they're not alone. They've never been alone. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have blessed us so incredibly. You have given us so many blessings, including the freedoms that we have. Freedom to come to a gathering where 25,000 people gather to hear your word and to grow and to encourage each other. And Lord, we, we do thank you for that. Lord, we lift up Christians around the world that have not been blessed in the same ways, who uh, would rather be imprisoned or even die than to deny you. They have so much strength to die for you. Give us strength to live for you, Lord, as we go home, to be bold witnesses for you, to boldly share your love with people that we don't know you, and help us to lift up the persecuted church in our daily prayers. Again, Lord, we love you, we thank you, we lift up all of these things, and we pray for the rest of today and the next few days and everyone's travel home as well. And we thank you, Father. We pray, Father, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.